Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we supposed to get married? I'm gonna just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. Both people are being vulnerable with one another. Then it's like you're in this together. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you watch me on the Drew Barrymore show, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Demona Hoffman. Hello, lovers. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Dates and Mates. You've probably heard on this show before that relationships are a journey. They're a learning curve. They're trial and error. I try to have my clients look at each person they meet, each new experience, each date as an opportunity to bring themselves a little more self-awareness. And in that, you start to develop a sense of your needs, your wants, and establish boundaries to navigate towards a partner that shares your goals and values. But of course, the story doesn't end when you find a partner. To be honest, that's actually where the story starts getting interesting and where it continues to be written. That is the joy in love. And that is why I have Dr. Pia Holek. She's one of the experts from the hit TV series, Married at First Sight. And she's joining me to talk about how to expand trust and build intimacy with a partner for a healthier, more satisfying relationship. But first, we have a headline to discuss. You know, there's always a headline. Our big headline for today is, what is toxic forgiveness? And is it really possible to forgive and forget? Then later in Dear Demona, I'll answer this question. I'm ready to date, but I'm nervous about showing my body to a new partner. Ooh, we're going deep today. Let's dish. She's dating dish. Pop Sugar asks, what is toxic forgiveness? And is it really possible to forgive and forget? This all came to the forefront during an episode of Red Table Talk, you know, with Jada Pinkett Smith and her mom. And they had on the show Will's ex-wife, Cherie. And she and Jada... They never shy away from the issues here. They got a chance to clear the air about some things that really rubbed them the wrong way about one another from way back. And they did this all with the help of Nedra Glover-Tawab, who is a relationship expert. Y'all might know her from Instagram. And so she wrote this new book called Set Boundaries, Find Peace, A Guide to Reclaiming Yourself. And she kind of coined this term, of toxic forgiveness. 
So what is toxic forgiveness? Well, according to Nedra, it is the unhealthy way we pretend to be over it in an effort to move on quicker. It's like saying you're over it, but not actually being over it. And according to Nedra, the healthy form of forgiveness often takes time. But man, we are in such a hurry these days. I hear a lot of frustration and awareness over time with my single clients. And it's true also when we get into relationships and we we become victims of this toxic forgiveness because we just want it to be done. And Nedra was saying that she wants to start an unforgiveness revolution, which may be a little bit too extreme, but I get it. I get it because we we equate unforgiveness with a lack of kindness, but it's not the same thing. Nedra says we can still be kind and not like people. And I would take it a step further and say you can be kind, but you can still be aware of what they have done. And I, you know, this whole idea of forgive and forget. I don't think we should forget because as I said at the top of the show, we are always learning and evolving and people really do teach you how to treat them. So giving someone this sense of forgiveness when you're still processing it is unfair to both of you. Let's let it be okay for us to stay in sticky feelings. I'll leave you with this. Nedra says, forgiveness is for your own emotional process. It's for you to accept the situation, regardless of how fast or slow you want to go. So that's a big flip in thinking of forgiveness, not as something that you give to the other person because you want to get past whatever that thing is that happened. It's something that you give your own emotional process so that you, can move on in your life. There's a little food for thought. There's so much more. We have a whole we have a whole smorgasbord of thoughts to chew on coming up when I talk to married at first sight expert Dr. Pia Holek in just a moment. Self-care is always top of mind for me, but in between meditation sessions, trips to the yoga studio or nail salon, how often are you taking care of all your needs? Transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires with Dipsy. Self-care has never sounded better. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of sexy short audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can find a story about your intriguing coworker with a British accent or hooking up with your hot yoga instructor, and they're radically inclusive. Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. You know, that's important to me. New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories you can read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash datesandmates. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsea stories.com slash datesandmates. 
Again, dipsystories.com slash datesandmates. I know if you're listening to this podcast that you may be thinking about making a big change in your life. And if you want to change your life, Mel Robbins will show you how. The Mel Robbins podcast has a simple mission to inspire, motivate, and empower you with the tools and advice you need to create a better life. Mel has spent the last 10 years helping millions of people with her best-selling audiobooks and by speaking on stages across the world. And now she would like to help you. Every episode is packed with deeply relatable topics, tactical advice, hilarious screw-ups, and compelling conversations. I went on a I went down a whole rabbit hole with Mel and her guest when she was talking about narcissism. I felt like I was right there with Mel when she was talking about her recent therapy session and gave us the exact exercise that her therapist shared with her to overcome feelings of anxiety, which she has battled since she was a child. Uh, let's just say I relate to Mel and I love listening to the show. It really does help motivate me. And the best part is that it's every Monday and Thursday. So twice a week, Mel will bring you behind the scenes and teach you all of her best secrets as you laugh and learn together. Listen to the Mel Robbins podcast every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. Dr. Pia Holick is a psychologist, sex therapist, relationship guru, and speaker. She joined the cast of Married at First Sight as an expert on this season, the 15th season of the Lifetime hit TV series. And I can't wait for her to unpack everything about expanding trust, building intimacy, and having authentic and meaningful relationships. Please help me give big smooches to Dr. Pia. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I am such a fan of Married at First Sight. I actually, the first show that I hosted was a spinoff of season one of Married at First Sight. So it's exciting for me to see how the show has grown and how many couples Married at First Sight has birthed into the world <laughs> and, and actual babies too. I'm right, curious right. for you as a psychologist who specializes in sex therapy and intimacy for couples. What made you want to hop onto the show here on season 15 of Married at First Sight? Yeah, it was just an interesting opportunity that came by and I was like, yeah, why not? I feel like I'm only able to serve so many people in my virtual office and I want to be able to disseminate this information to the world. Mm -hmm. And when you say this information, <laughs> what do you say? What do you see are the biggest roadblocks for couples right now? Communication, intimacy, finances, and then COVID. COVID has really impacted relationships so very, 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 very much. And so when I say information, I mean the skills to be able to communicate with your partner, to learn how to compromise, to learn how to fight fairly. Because I feel like a lot of times couples think that, oh, to have a good relationship or to have a good marriage, that means that you're not going to have arguments. And that's like BS, right? Like it's going to happen. And we need to figure out how to do so successfully. Yeah. And you're doing a lot of that <laughs> on Married at First Sight. And for those who haven't seen the show yet, of course, they're going to rush and and get caught up on the show. But, you know, the conceit is it's it's a social experiment, really. And 
the people really do get married <laughs> at first sight. And then the show follows them as they're trying to work all of these, these relationship challenges out and figure out if they want to stay together mm -hmm. or get divorced. And the, I mean, the intensity there, I, I can't even imagine. But I, I see that a lot of people on the show don't come into it with understanding what it really takes to make a relationship work. Agreed. Can you talk to me about some of the, the specific challenges that you've encountered on this show and how you've like helped people? I know there's a lot that happens behind the scenes too that we don't see, but how you help people really begin to work on those skills of communication so that they can connect with mm -hmm. their partner, even if they didn't know them <laughs> six weeks ago. Yeah. So first and foremost, this is such a unique experience for the couples. And it was a very unique experience for me. It's totally different than therapy, outpatient therapy, where I've built a relationship with someone, right? And we've gone weeks and weeks of gathering information versus I am thrown into a situation. So like, let's just like name that. This is very different than traditional outpatient therapy. I think there's a, a come to Jesus moment, if you will, that has to happen with the couples of like, this is an accelerated process. This is unique. So whatever was like going on beforehand, we've got to kind of erase that and also recognize, okay, what are you willing to, what are you willing to do in order to make this work? Because yes, it is an experiment, but that means that there's going to have to be change involved. And so really helping folks to understand what is the problem, helping to figure out what are each person saying? Like, what are your love languages? What's getting in the way? How is the past impacting the way that you're showing up in your relationship? What is it that you want out of this relationship? Is it just this idea and fantasy of being married? Okay, well, what does that even look like? What do you want out of a marriage? What do you want out of your partner? Are you able to communicate that to one another versus communicating with other folks and then hoping to get advice from them rather than talking with your own partner? So it was a lot of that that came up. And as you mentioned, there's hours and hours of filming that doesn't get seen. It's kind of dwindled down to a couple of minutes. So you don't get to see everything, but there was a lot of skills-based information sharing going on. Can you give us some tips on on just how you can become a better communicator, be prepared for that relationship? Because sometimes it can happen very quickly. And I firmly believe that you, you have to prepare for the relationship that you want to have. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder when you just start to deal with it when the issues and the conflicts come up. I'm snapping my fingers to that, 100%. <laughs> Right. I think that, you know, your single season is the time to work on yourself so that you can be like a fully whole formed adult when entering into a relationship. Because I feel like sometimes conflict arises and issues come up when you're expecting your partner to complete you, right? Or to be able to read you or help you figure out what you want and what you need. No, absolutely not. You have to figure that out for yourself. You have to love on yourself. You have to understand your own limits and boundaries and needs and wants and hopes and dreams and desires and have that so securely solidified for yourself so that when you are entering the dating world, you can determine, okay, like, is this going to be a good match for me? Is this meeting part of my needs? Are there some things here that I can, you know, maybe I can pick and choose my battles here. I'm not going to get everything that I want out of a partner, but am I getting the core things that are very important to me? And then 
am I able to communicate with someone what it is that I want and what I need? So are there certain things that you maybe feel shameful about? Are there certain things that you haven't quite explored yet? Are there issues around vulnerability? And what are those? I think everyone should get in therapy. That's just like another disclaimer to like work those things out for yourself if need be, right? So that you're not like bringing baggage into the relationship. And then having open conversations. I have a lot of folks who feel like, oh, on the first date, we shouldn't talk about like, do you want kids? Do you want to get married? This and that. And I'm like, well, why not? I don't know how old y'all are, but like, who has time to like waste getting to know someone if you don't have the same like lifelong goals? You know, if you're trying to hook up, cool. But if you're looking for a partner for long term, have these conversations openly and early. Yeah. And you know what it is, Dr. Pia? It's that we're so afraid of the rejection, but we yes. don't look at the fact that it's not a rejection of us personally, necessarily. It's a rejection yes. of the life that you are looking to build. And wouldn't you rather know that before you make an investment Amen. in someone, right? Exactly. So I want to talk a little bit more about this, this idea of building trust and and really laying the foundation for a relationship where you can get your needs met. Mm -hmm. I define trust as, as when you see that someone's words match their actions consistently over time. Mm -hmm. I'm curious in your practice how you see trust showing up for the, the couples that you work with and how you mm -hmm. counsel people to be able to build trust you know, maybe when they've mm -hmm. had life experiences that get in the way of that. Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I love your definition. I think that what I would add to that and what um, I think is really important, especially with the population that I work with, is that it's it means safety. When you trust someone, you feel safe with them. Right. And mm -hmm. so I think that goes along with what you're saying, like safe that their actions are going to be consistent, safe that they're not going to harm you, safe that they've got your best interest at heart. Right. A lot of folks that I work with have significant trauma backgrounds. And so a lot of times it's hard to discern, okay, is this my past showing up or, you know, am I reading this situation correctly? So what I help folks do is to work on grounding themselves to really recognize, okay, I am in the present moment. Now, might this person's behavior remind me of something in the past? Yes, but let me examine the facts because this is another thing that I feel like can be controversial sometimes. I like to say your feelings are real. Feel them. You're impacted by them. They're not always based in facts, though, right? We might feel like our partner is, you know, whatever negative word we want to insert. But is that actually the facts? Like, what, what, what do we have to examine? What evidence do we have to support that narrative? Right. And if we don't have the evidence, can that be a moment for us to check ourselves of like, all right, I think I might be bringing my past into this. This partner hasn't given me any reason to doubt them or to not make me feel safe or et cetera, et cetera. I also tell folks, OK, if you know you've got a traumatic past, I'm not suggesting that you go in on the first date and like spill your guts out. You might not feel comfortable doing that. But you also might want to let someone know like, hey, this is an area of sensitivity for me. I might need a little bit of your support or a little bit more patience, you know, on your end as I am gaining safety, as I am gaining security, as we are earning each other's trust. I believe it's it's all about having that open communication because that way it's like if both people are being vulnerable with one another, then it's like one person doesn't feel like they're like out on a limb, like you're in this 
together. And I think that that's where we can really cultivate trust, um, you know, together as a partnership that we feel like we have each other's back and we have each other's best intentions. Mm, that is so powerful what you just said. And you, you've got me really thinking about this, this trauma background and the people that mm. come to you for support in that. I would imagine that mm -hmm. some people don't actually even realize the trauma that they're oh, yes. carrying. How do you unpack that? Yeah. You know, and sometimes it shows up in the most inconvenient times, right? And we are not able to name it as trauma, right? Um, a lot of times folks will have had people tell them like, oh, you're dramatic or, you know, oh, you're, you're nagging or whatever the case may be. And during our work together, I will be able to um, point out patterns or themes or make connections to someone of like, um, you're reacting to this, but this sounds a lot like what you were telling me happened with your mom or, um, you know, this sounds a lot like what, you know, took place in high school or didn't you tell me you were bullied or, you know, you had this sexual assault happen. No wonder you don't like to be hugged or touched, right? Like, let's talk about these things. Let's name it. And I believe that by naming it as a trauma and naming it is okay to say that it is okay to work through that, that gives people a different sense of agency. Uh, a lot of times people misconstrue what, what is trauma, right? A lot of times people think about what we call like big T trauma, right? Like I, I witnessed this catastrophic event. I went through 9-11 or, you know, a war veteran. Yes, that's true. There's also little T traumas, right? That can happen every day. You know, um, you know, witnessing someone die, huge trauma, big T trauma, but ha having someone have an illness, a strong illness, that's a little T trauma, right? You know, sexual assault, if there isn't penetration, still a big, still trauma, right? There's so many different things that happen where people sometimes brush it off. Um, you know, negative upbringings and throughout childhood, all of these things really impact us. Having, you know, a bad breakup, that can be a little T trauma. And so just providing psychoeducation to what trauma looks like and how it impacts us and what are some of the common reactions to trauma can really help to, as you were saying, give someone a voice to recognize what they're experiencing so that they can then discern how can we heal from this. I love everything you just said. And I also, I, I think the tide is sort of turning around mental health in dating. I've been doing this for mm -hmm. a long time, Dr. Pia. And like 15 <laughs> years ago when I started coaching people, on dating, first of all, everyone was in therapy or had been in therapy at one point. People weren't talking about it. And there's been a big shift. Like at OkCupid, we are seeing that people are actually more likely to match with you if you talk about, about therapy. And people want mm -hmm. someone who feels that, that mental health is as, as important as physical health. Um, I've mm -hmm. seen similar stats from from Hinge as well. But let's be honest, it's kind of awkward. It's kind of awkward to talk about like, do you, are you just like, so anyway, my therapist said, <laughs> can, can you give us some, some uh, best practices for how to engage in a conversation about mental health with someone that we are new to dating? Should we even, it should we say it in our dating profiles? Like when, when do you disclose that? Yeah, heck yeah. I, I, I feel like 
Um, Dr. Brene Brown talks about, you know, what is uh, the catalyst to shame, right? And vulnerability. That is just putting it out there in the open, right? Acknowledging it. it it's not going to feel awkward if we don't let it feel awkward, right? Like we're in control of ourselves. And so if I'm talking to someone and they think it's awkward that I'm talking about therapy, you're not my person. You're just not my person. It's not my job to convince you of it. Like that's, you know, maybe if I'm in the mood that particular day, Um, but if we're dating, you know, it depends on where you are throughout your dating experience. If you're someone in like your mid thirties, forties, fifties, you don't have time to, you know, kind of like build a bear or build your partner. You want someone who's like got it together and figured it out. So it's like, "Mm, okay, I guess this isn't for us, right? Like own it. There's no shame behind therapy. You know, um, you mentioned Mental health is the same as physical health. I still don't understand why there's a separation. Is your brain not a physical part of your body? I don't get it, right? So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. It just doesn't make, it doesn't compute for me. So I say early on, acknowledge it, speak, you know, highly about it. I don't think there's there's anything wrong with saying like, yeah, my therapist said, even with my own patients, I use self-disclosure and say that I'm in therapy because why should someone trust me as their therapist if I'm not getting my own therapy? And so Mm -hmm. I think the same can be true of dating. Like, Hey, I'm serious about this. I know I got my own stuff because who doesn't, but I'm working on it and I'm really glad to be working on it. I think it's also important to have a conversation with someone that you're getting to date, um, you know, down the road, would you be open to couples therapy? I think you were mentioning before, Demona, that we don't need to wait until we're in crisis, right? Like a lot of couples will come when it's like, this is the last straw. And if, and, you know, if couples therapy doesn't work, then the relationship is over. And it's like, um, well, we're kind of late here, you know, like let's be preventative because again, we're not taught these things in school, right? We're not taught emotions. I don't know if school is a little bit different now, but I certainly wasn't taught emotions. I wasn't taught sexual health or consent or, you know, romance or like how to fight fairly with the partner. None of that crap. I will say, I think it is being taught in schools now. Like my, my, some schools, my kids' school is like, they're so about social emotional learning. And I actually <laughs> saw it show up. My son is eight. He was having a play date with a friend and his friend kept doing something. It was a virtual play date. This is how they do it now. They were playing Minecraft and his friend kept doing something like that was, it was killing him in the game or doing something that was making him mad. And I heard him very clearly state his boundary. And he was like, stop doing that. I said, stop doing that. If you do that again, I'm going to leave the game. And I was just like listening in from upstairs, like good for him. Good for him that he felt confident enough that he could clarify his boundaries. He specified the exact behavior that he wanted to stop. And he gave this guy a consequence for what would happen (laughs) if he continued doing that behavior. And I was like, I want this for everyone. Like, I wish everyone, (laughs) right? I wish everyone, and I'm not like patting myself on the back as a parent. Like, I know this is from the, okay, well, I'll I'll do that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. But this is from the work that he has done and the professionals that he's worked with and and the training that he's gotten in school to be able to understand his needs and know that Mm -hmm. expressing his boundary doesn't make him unlovable. It doesn't make him someone that he his friend won't play with again. But he he knows how to express himself. And I think that puts this generation light years ahead of 
of ours. <laughs> no, absolutely. I was like, what an evolved eight-year-old. Like, <laughs> I wish some of my 30 and 40-year-old comrades and patients could have that same experience because it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be in touch with your emotions and to not be afraid to say no or be afraid to exercise a boundary, you know, to be okay with implementing a consequence. Like, no, you can't treat me like that. That's mm-hmm. not okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm and still learning that- it myself <laughs> <laughs> right? from the mouths of babes. But, you Correct. know, I think a lot of people really kind of they struggle with this line between expression and like over expression. I've, I've heard you talk mm-hmm. before about love bombing and mm-hmm. I, 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 I have a hard time articulating the difference between like someone who is open and expressing mm-hmm. how they feel or telling my clients to do so and getting them to recognize the signs of when it is not coming from a place of care and it's coming mm-hmm. from a place of manipulation, which I I mm-hmm. would say is a distinction <laughs> with love bombing. But can yeah. you explain how that showed up in your practice and, and how you help people know when it's the signifier of something bad to come? Yeah, exactly. So I agree with you. And you say like love bombing comes from a place of manipulation, i.e. a place of control. So is it like immediately you're being showered with all of these compliments? You can do no wrong. Like just everything about you is amazing, amazing, amazing. And just notice how you feel. Like, does that, like, do your spidey senses go off, right? Like maybe in the beginning, it's like, oh my gosh, this feels so good. Then it's like, wait a minute. Like all they say are positive things. And well, are they trying to isolate me from my friends and family so that the only love I'm getting is coming from them? Are they trying to, you know, make it seem as though we're the only people matched for one another, right? That like our love is only dependent upon one another, right? Are they maybe disparaging other people in our lives? Are they maybe disparaging if we want to spend time away from them? Um, are they not supporting our dreams, our hopes? Do they not want us to work? Do they want us to be up underneath them all the time? I think those are some of the the telltale signs. And I really encourage folks to really tap into their intuition and into their gut to really sit and meditate and like, how do you feel? Take away some of the words that people are saying and think about how do you feel when you're with this person? Do you feel a sense of safety? Do you feel a sense of concern? (laughs) Do you feel a sense of curiosity of like, I don't feel like I'm getting the whole story here. Do you feel like you really know this person? You know, just really pay attention to your gut. A hundred percent agree. And I actually, in my program, I've decided uh, it's important enough to teach people how to hear their intuition. Because a lot of times we don't, Mm -hmm. Dr. Pia. Like, we've been told our whole lives, like, that's not real. You know, you hear, you should trust your gut, but we're never given any kind of training on what that actually looks Mm -hmm. like. And I think the other thing with love bombing is that usually it happens really fast. That's when that's when my spidey senses as a dating coach go up where I'm like, Mm -hmm. wait, and you've known this guy for how long? And he wants to take you right out of town. And he doesn't want Mm -hmm. you to see your friends on Saturdays. And he's telling you that he loves you. And you literally just met like three weeks ago. 
He don't right. know you, girl. He can't love you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the momentum, but I think this is why I'm always telling my clients to practice slow love or slow dating yeah. and really space out the time in between interactions because then they can do what you just said and really say mm -hmm. like, how do I feel when I'm worth with this person? How do I feel when I'm not with this person? Mm -hmm. That's really mm -hmm. interesting. Like, yes. oh, do I feel a sense of freedom? Do I, feel, you know, mm -hmm. do I have a longing to see them or do I feel like, oh, I'm not being suffocated here? And it's like, sometimes we want the outcome so much, like the mm -hmm. goal of the relationship, the drive of that relationship is so big that mm -hmm. we lose sight of what's actually happening in the moment. Correct. Correct. And I think sometimes that might come from, dare I say, like sometimes a place of desperation, right? Or um, like <laughs> everything that glitters is in gold, right? Sometimes it might be like this shiny person, right? Like this partner is, oh, I think this is everyone that I ever dreamed of, right? And that goes back to what I was saying earlier, like, let's not look to our partner to complete us. Let's be so fully whole that it's like, no, we don't have to spend 24 seven. You know, it, it, we can take some time away in the first couple of weeks to regroup, center ourselves and give us, you know, a, a chance to miss this person, you mm -hmm. know, go on multiple dates in different scenarios, different places and situations. So you can see how this person interacts outside of just the two of you, right? Like, are they rude to, you know, wait staff when you're at a restaurant, right? Um, you know, do they open the door for other people? Um, are they kind, right? Do they have road rage? Like all of these different things that can be little like indicators to us of, let me get to know a little bit more about their personality when they're not just sending their representative, you know? Yeah, completely. And it's like totally the opposite of what you're doing on Married at First Sight because it's like these folks, they start with the ending, are there signs when you're working with the couples on Married at First Sight where you're like, this is a challenge that may be insurmountable? Yes. <laughs> and you can't tell us yes, it until, <laughs> until later, <laughs> until the tell-all reveal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's a matter of, okay, are there fundamental differences here, Right. Like, sure, when you're getting to know someone, it can be awkward, right? Like, we're trying to figure things out. This is a complete stranger. And then there's also like core fundamental differences. I think that's the best way that I can say it without divulging something inappropriate. Um, but yeah, if at your core, are your values the same? Are your morals the same? And if not, I, I don't know how that's going to work. Mm. I want to know so much more, but I guess I will just have to keep watching Married at First Sight. And you have a counseling practice. Can can you talk about how people might be able to have a chance to work with you and where people can find more information about your services and advice? Yes. So right now your girl is kind of booked and busy. Um, so I don't have a whole lot of space to take in uh, more folks, but... I have an Instagram account, Sex Dr. Pia, where I've got some good intimacy and relationship tips. I haven't been on it in a while, but there's some good information there. You can also email me to see if I perchance have some availability at drpiaholic at gmail.com.
Be sure to check out Married at First Sight on Lifetime and follow Dr. Pia on Instagram to learn more. She's at sexdrpia, that's S-E-X-D-R-P-I-A. The link will be in the show notes. In a moment, I will be back to answer this listener question. I want to get intimate with a new partner, but I'm nervous about revealing my scars. What do I do? I'll tell you in a moment. You guys, I have to tell you something. I am in love. (laughs) I am in love with Drew Barrymore. I am so lucky that I get to work with her on the Drew Barrymore Show. And now I am in love with her new podcast. It's called Drew's News. Drew wants to give you the news on the go because, look, we all need it right now. And every week on her new podcast, Drew is joined by special guests like Rob Lowe, Jay Shetty, and Tinks to help her break down the latest quirky, fun, and inspiring stories in the world. From the newest interior design trends, Barbie core, to the right and wrong way to date, or to wash your armpits. <laughs> She's covering it all. And it is so fun, so delightful, and oh so Drew. You can catch new episodes of Drew's News every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so honored that you all trust me with your dating and relationship dilemmas. And today's question is a big one. This email came in from a listener named Emily. She says, I had breast cancer and a lumpectomy in 2020. I wasn't actively dating before my diagnosis, but this year I decided to start actively looking. I've been on the apps and talking to people. When do I tell the person I'm getting to know about my cancer? I have scars on my body I can't hide if I choose to be intimate. I also have side effects from my radiation. Nobody talks about life and dating after cancer treatment. How does a 48-year-old, never married, no kids kind of woman navigate the dating world? You know what, Emily? You are right. Nobody's talking about life and dating after cancer treatment. And you're also right that it is absolutely something that we should be talking about. I just found out that about one in eight women will get breast cancer during her lifetime. And so that means that even though because nobody's talking about it, you feel like you're alone, you're definitely not alone here. And I think there are other people who will relate to maybe not having scars from a lumpectomy or side effects, but maybe they have another health challenge or maybe they have scars from an accident or another kind of surgery. I, uh, I'm i dealing with all kinds of <laughs> C-section, two baby Like, there's a lot happening here, girl. (laughs) So I I can even relate to this. And actually, I haven't revealed this on the show yet, but my my mother is in treatment right now for breast cancer. And, uh, you know, the prognosis is good. But she is currently having radiation and was very apprehensive about it because of the side effects and the way that it might change her body. And so this is where I want to begin with the, our relationship to our bodies. And as our bodies change, either just due to age, injuries, illness, we have to kind of re-relate to our bodies. We have to develop a new relationship, a new conversation with our bodies. And that, it sounds like, is right where you are right now. You're a survivor and you fought breast cancer. And you are wearing the scars of that, but it also means you have a tremendous amount of strength. 
you have a story to tell, you have, I would imagine, a passion for life, having gone through this experience. And maybe that's why now you're really ready to share your life with someone else. Because you said before you weren't even dating, but now it feels like this is the right time. And you're placing judgment on your body and what you've been through. And believe me, I get it. Like, you know, everybody says, oh, stretch marks, that's like the beauty of life. And you've, you've, you've given birth. And so you get to wear that as a as a badge of honor, but it doesn't always feel like that. So I know it probably doesn't feel like that for you, but it is something that really shows what you're made of. And if you can first just sort of rewrite that relationship to the new body that you're living in, and then we can start to get into when do you tell somebody about your cancer? I say information should be shared on a need-to-know basis. So if you're not planning on getting intimate with that person, then you probably don't need to tell them up front. If it's not something that's going to immediately impact the date that you're on, you probably don't need to share that. You don't need to share that you're a breast cancer survivor. You don't need to share that you have scars. That is the kind of information that needs to be earned before being shared. So Emily, the simple answer to your question is no, you should not hide it. And no, you should not put it in your dating profile. And no, you probably shouldn't talk about it on the first date. Unless you feel like your battle with cancer is a core part of your story right now that needs to be shared. Otherwise, just focus on connecting with that person and building the intimacy and building to a point of trust because you will get there. You will get to a point where you want to be intimate. And I guarantee you, anybody who has fallen in love with you for who you are they're not going to be turned away by your your scars or your side effects or your story. That's actually the kind of thing that would make someone lean in and want to provide care and compassion and listening and understanding. And that's ultimately what you want. So don't hold yourself back from the experience because of a fear of how you think that they will react to it. It's more about how you are relating to it yourself and when you choose to share the information with someone who you trust and has earned your trust. I hope you enjoyed episode 435 of Dates and Maids. I'm making this show for you. Yes, you. So please let me know which guests and which topics you love. Take two minutes, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now so we know just what it is that you love about Dates and Mates. The DMs are always open for your questions for Dear Demona. I'm at Demona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I am, okay, I am dipping my toe into the TikTok waters too. So please pray for me. <laughs> Follow me. 
You can also text me or call me with your question anytime, day or night, 424-246-6255. We'll be back next Tuesday to kick off cuffing season officially with Cammie Crawford. She's the co-host of MTV's hit TV series, Catfish, and the host of the podcast, Relationship. Until then, I wish you happy dating.